This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Hey, what a good reminder this morning that wherever you've come from this morning, whatever is going on in your lives, that God is more than able to meet you in that place. And uh, we celebrate that, that we call out. And God is a God who not only hears, but He responds. That He's there to, to do the heavy lifting in our lives. And that's just great news. And that's part of what makes um, our community of faith dynamic. Uh, that it's compelling Christian community because we have in the center Jesus Christ. We have the Word of God, uh, the Spirit of God active in our lives and in this congregation and that there isn't anything that we uh, will experience in our lives, whether it be individually or corporately, that He's not there for us. And so we celebrate that this morning and appreciate just how the, the music this morning, the lyric of the song ties in um, to the theme of this morning in the Word of God. And so, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. And sometimes we look around ourselves and we want to ask ourselves a question, who cares? Who cares? Does it really matter what I'm going through? Or are there really people in my life that, that care? They're there for me. And I want to say, yes, who cares? We care. Community covenant cares. But, but that care stems out of a care that finds its, its foundation uh, in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, I just want to affirm that, that Jesus cares about every single one of us and about every detail of our lives, and that he's faithful to meet us in that place of, of deepest need. He's the one that does the heavy lifting, and he's available for us. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal, and uh, the author asks, why work out when you can just buy clothes and look like you did? The article explores a growing trend in the athletic apparel market. People are buying sport clothing without actually practicing the sport. The article notes, The U.S. athletic apparel market will increase by nearly 50% to more than $100 billion uh, at retail by the year 2020, driven in large part by consumers snapping up stretchy tees and leggings that will never see the fluorescent lights of a gym. For instance, sales of yoga apparel increased by 45%, but yoga participation grew by less than 5%. Hmm. The trend isn't limited to yoga. We Alaskans might want to know the fact that... Did I say we Alaskans? Oh, wow. What just happened? Ooh. Wow. 
Jesus met me at my point of deepest need. <laughs> free at last, free at last. Californian refugee. All right, let's get back to this. All right, we Alaskans. Outdoor and camping retailers have, uh, have debuted new lines of hiking boots and flannel shirts for people who probably have no intention of actually hiking or camping. They're all California transplants. They're not real Alaskans. Retailers are also rolling out jogging pants and preppy $90 men's running shorts for men who may never jog. Amazing. The article quoted one buyer of athletic apparel who likes to wear yoga pants around town but who seldom has time to work out. She said, quote, When you put on your workout apparel, you think, Huh, maybe I should think about working out today. All right. Not that any of us can identify with that. You know, when we think about appearance, um, there are certain aspects of our our community, our faith community, our life in Christ. And, and we are a church. We are an expression of the body of Christ in Eagle River called the Community Covenant Church. Notice the word community is first, Okay. And we can celebrate that we're a part of that expression. But there are certain aspects of what it means to live in community. Right? And we can dress ourselves up. And we can look like that we are living into those aspects of, of the fullness of, of Christian community empowered by the Holy Spirit. When in reality, it's just an, exter- an external appearance. Maybe it announces our intention. But the reality is that intention has to be connected to action. And uh, one of the distinguishing factors or fact, uh, facts of Mark's gospel is that Mark sees faith and he understands and expresses the, the movement of the ministry of Jesus Christ and Christian faith in terms of of action. That there's faith, but it's faith expressed in action. Uh, this morning we're looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 of Mark. Now let me give you a little background here. Jesus' ministry has been inaugurated, and he's called his disciples, and he now is going about the countryside or the area around the Sea of Galilee and he's performing miracles and he's teaching with great authority. Okay? And prior to this incident where he is going to uh, heal and forgive a paralyzed man, Jesus had healed a man with leprosy. Now, what begins to happen here in Mark chapter 2 all the way through Mark 3 verse 6 is a series of events. There's five of them in which Jesus teaches and acts with the authority of God to announce that the kingdom of God is now present among the people. And as he does that, he is 
performing many miraculous signs and works of healing, and the healing are attesting miracles. What is it attesting to? Well, it's attesting to the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ and the truth of His message, the good news. Okay? The good news. And what's going to happen is, by the time we move into Mark 3, 6, the religious leaders are now going to conspire to have him killed. What we see here is a clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And, and who is truly living out and teaching under the authority of God? This incident here uh, is an important incident in which Jesus establishes his authority and announces his intention and the intention of the kingdom of God. So let's look here, beginning in verse 1. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Now, Capernaum was an important city. It was in the northern part there of Israel, It was a military garrison, a Roman garrison that was stationed there. It had five main roads that led in in different directions. Okay? It was a place of commerce. Uh, It was a place that, as Jesus performed miracles, people came. In fact, in Luke's account of this, in Luke chapter 5, it says that, that people, and in particular religious leaders from Jerusalem, uh, from Judea, from all over the area, came to see about this person, Jesus, okay? So this was an important city, and uh, it was accessible uh, by several roads. Now, the people had come, and they had gathered, and, and what had happened is they were crammed into this, to this house, so much so that there was no longer room because uh, Jesus was there, and whenever God moves in power, people are attracted. And people were attracted to what God was doing. And so the crowd actually went all the way out into the street. And people were there to hear the word, the good news of the kingdom. And central to that news is forgiveness by grace through faith. There's going to be a fulfillment of the law that's going to be manifested fully in the kingdom in which Jesus now is announcing and saying, it is among you. That's central to what's happening. Now, it says in verse 3, some men came bringing to them a paralyzed man carried by four of them. So there was a man in the community. He was paralyzed. Most scholars believe that that this was a a form of palsy. It was a paralysis from a a neuromuscular disease. There are some Greek language nuances that that lead us to believe this. So it's likely that this person had had this since birth. And there were four members of the community. Incidentally, do you see here already the theme of community? How important that is? How God works and He's going to work here in the context of a believing community. And it's what these four men believed about Jesus, what they had heard, their response in bringing their friend to Jesus. Now, since they could not get to Him, 
not get to him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, then lowered the mat the man was lying on. And so in Jesus' time, these houses would have a stairway along the side, and on top, there would be a thatched roof. There were also often wood beams. And there were clay-hardened tiles that would go in between the beams. And on top of the beams would be uh, straw and thatch and mud. Okay? And so they couldn't get the person, their friend, into Jesus because of the crowd. And so they were pretty original, weren't they? They carried him up the stairs on the side of the house. And they dug through the roof to lower their friend down into the presence of Jesus. And these four men, there's, there's, there's really four things that I see here that, that really exemplify this action. One is a compassion, a compassion for their friend. This is going to be very important to what follows. By the way, do you know piety without compassion is a lie? And there's going to be a contrast here between their compassion, the compassion of Jesus, and that of the religious leaders were very pious but lacked the expression of compassion the heart of God they were good at following rules but not good at expressing God's heart so they have compassion they're they're working together in cooperation aren't they takes four of them to address the issue at hand that they're original that uh that there's a barrier here, an actual physical barrier of keeping them from getting their friend to Jesus. But, but what do they do? In their originality, in their creativity, they think there must be another way. And they were persistent. You know what? It didn't matter what the barrier was. It didn't matter. They knew in their hearts that if they could just get their friend before Jesus, that Jesus could touch him, could heal him, to speak the words of wholeness like they had heard that Jesus had done previously. They believed. They had faith that Jesus was the answer to their friend's problem. Now, they saw that as one thing. Paralysis, a physical issue. But what we're going to find out here is Jesus has a very holistic approach and understanding. And he wants to do more than even the four men or the paralyzed man could even imagine. It not that great news? That when Jesus works in our life, He works in ways that we can't even imagine. And often we come to Him for one thing, and He gives us so much more. I want to say glory to God. Glory to God. That He knows what we need. Persistence. So the four men exhibit compassion, cooperation, originality, creativity, and persistence. They dig the hole and they lower the man down. Now you can imagine the scene, the dirt, the straw following down as Jesus is teaching the Word of God. And now as He's teaching the Word of God, He's going to use this as an illustration that's going to attest to the truth of the Word that He's teaching. So good. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralyzed man, Son, Your sins are forgiven. How unexpected that would be. And yet we have to understand the theological understanding of the culture of the day. In Jesus' time, the Hebrew faith rooted in the Old Testament 
believe that all humanity's suffering rooted in separation from God. All of it. And when it came to a physical issue, a disease or an illness, it was believed that that illness, all illness, every illness, was a direct result of sin in a person's life or the life of somebody, in in fact, maybe like a parent of that person. So that there was sin, and sin was responsible for illness. And so here's Jesus. Jesus wants to address the issue, not just the symptom. And if this man on the stretcher believed that he was paralyzed because of of his sin, what was the real, first and foremost, internal need? Physical healing or forgiveness? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And so Jesus pronounces forgiveness in verse 5. Well, this is going to stir the teachers in verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this man talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they were right. Anyone who claimed to forgive sins was essentially implying God or God's authority. And if that weren't true, then that would be blasphemy. And blasphemy, in this case, would be punishable by death. Okay? So, that aspect is true, but they fail to realize that Jesus here, in this demonstration of the authority of God, is the God-man. He's God incarnate. Standing before them is one with the legitimate authority to forgive sin. Do you see that? So they have the, the law correct, but they're, they're failing to see what Jesus is doing here and, and what the implications of, our, of that are. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Now that's an interesting question. Now think about that. To say your your sins are forgiven, that's kind of subjective, isn't it? How do you measure that? How do you really know? And certainly if no one has the, the authority to forgive sins but God, and they don't understand Jesus, right? as being God incarnate, then, hey, you can claim that, but it's very subjective. We don't believe that because you don't have the authority. You see that? So which is easier to for man to, to say that, which is very subjective, or to say, pick up your mat and walk? You know what? It, for man, both are equally difficult. Impossible. Right? But not for God. Not for God. And so Jesus says, But I want you to know that the Son of Man, that's a term that Jesus uses for himself. Okay? An expression of 
his humanity, the fullness of that, also linked to the understanding of Messiah. Okay? But he says, so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Get up and walk. And so this is what Jesus is doing. Essentially he's saying, yes, you're right, nobody has the authority to forgive sins but God. And that's very subjective. But I'm going to demonstrate to you that, that I do have that authority and I am doing it by the authority of God. Okay? Pick up your mat and walk. And so then what happens? The man responds in faith and he immediately gets up, picks up his mat and carries it away. And so Jesus implied claim is verified by the physical act of healing that takes place in this man's life. So he's freed from the guilt and shame associated with the stigma of his physical condition being related to sin and he's healed of what? His physical malady. So the man receives both spiritual and physical healing. He walks away with both. And Jesus touches his life in full measure. That's a great story. And so often people come to Jesus or they come for healing. They want a touch of God in their life. And maybe ostensibly the issue is physical or it's emotional or it's financial or it can be a variety of things. And yet he not only wants to deal with that, but he wants to, to deal deep down with a, with a cause of, of, of different things that go on in our lives. And so what we see here, which is so powerful, is Jesus addressing the cause and the symptom, pardon for sin that is sealed by the power of his healing. And what a great illustration that, that as we as a faith community are compelled to be involved and, and to work in the ministry of care. The four men cared. Jesus cared. A hallmark of compelling Christian community is caring for one another. That it is inclusive of the Word of God. And the Word of God pertains to the reality of Jesus Christ, that He is the one who has come to heal the paralysis of sin in our lives. First and foremost. Because what difference would it make if He healed the man physically, but not the man spiritually? And we as a church address both. The physical need, but most importantly, the spiritual needs of people. The forgiveness of sin, that there can be, what, reconciliation, no longer separation from God. And that new life can come out of which the power of the Holy Spirit is alive and active in our lives and in our community. And in that power, the Lord does mighty works in our lives. Can you see that in the scripture here today? Four things I think that are compelling for us today. Number one, this story reminds us that we can face the present with hope for the future. You know, we get a taste of the kingdom now. And by the way, that the forgiveness of sin and, and healing in Ezekiel 33 verses 22 and 24 are both signs of the kingdom of God and the fullness of that kingdom. 
And Jesus was announcing the kingdom. And our job is to announce the kingdom. And we get an expression of that. We get to live into that. Both now, but we look to the future of the kingdom in its fullness. And so we face the present with hope for the future. Number two, the resource of faith is greater than the barriers of unbelief. The resource of faith is greater than the barriers of unbelief. This story is full of barriers. And yet the resource of faith conquered all of those. Number three, that we are called in compelling Christian community to carry others when they can't carry themselves. Do you see that here? That there are times in all of our lives when we are broken, when we are struggling, when we are hurting, when there are issues of health, and we can't carry ourselves. We need the faith community. And we need to be a community of of faith that, that carries one another when we can't carry the burden alone. And finally, the ultimate cure, the ultimate need in every person's life is to bring others into Jesus' presence. When we come into the presence of Jesus, He is able to touch us at our point of deepest need. He is able to minister to our whole person. And if we're going to be a compelling Christian community, we have to minister to the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. To the deep need of reconciliation with God, forgiveness of sin. And to all the other needs that, that, that we encounter in our lives. That's what makes our community so compelling. That's what he wants to do here. I want to introduce to you here briefly um, kind of organizing ministry in our church. It's called a ministry of care. You'll see the umbrella of care, we call it. Care ministry at Community Covenant Church. All this is grounded in the Word of God, in the ministry of Jesus that announces the kingdom of God. And in there you'll see eight different, or nine different, well, eight different expressions of ministry. Military ministry, that's the ministry to our military families. To spouses of those who have loved ones deployed. Wellness ministry, that's the ministry of, of health education, of coming alongside of, of individuals and families who are experiencing uh, health issues. Action men. That's the ministry of, of men in our church who have come together to come alongside those who need help with practical needs. Community cares, that's, that's the financial expression of help in our church. Coming alongside of those who, who need the practical financial help. Prayer ministry in the church. Whether it be Sunday morning prayer, intercessory prayer, which takes place on, on Tuesday morning with a faithful group who pray for what you put on the bottom of your your prayer cards. Healing prayer. All the different expressions of prayer in our church. That's a part of care ministry. And then the ministry of visitation. You know, the pastor or pastors of the church are inadequate to, to meet all the needs of going and visiting people who need visitation. And so we're forming a visitation team um, and Lori's helping to do that, my wife. And, and we're going to gather people and provide training so that we can go to 
assisted living centers, to the hospitals, to, to homes where people are, to, to bring the love of Christ. It's going to be love to go. Right? Because you love to go. To minister to the needs of people. And then hospitality. You know, um, the kitchen, uh, the preparation of food, the, the presentation of, of treats on Sunday morning. Right? Things that, that make us hospitable. And then life skills. Um, those are things that, that, that we work through as, a, as maybe single parenting, maybe uh, divorce care, uh, grief recovery. All of those things, support groups, counseling, all of those things fall under this umbrella of care. Now this morning, in the spirit of the four men who carried their friend, I want to invite you to get involved. All of us at one time or another will be recipients, but we all need to be actively engaged. And this morning as we dismiss out in the welcome area will be tables where you can find out more about all of these ministries. There will be leaders that, that are heading up these different expressions of care ministry in the church. And you can find out about them and you can find out how you can become a part of them. Don't miss this opportunity to be a part of care ministry. Don't this miss this opportunity to, to know the joy of what it means to carry somebody into the presence of Jesus where he does his work Don't miss that opportunity to be a part of compelling Christian community. My desire and my prayer is that so many of you will respond that in some way or some manner of expression that you'll want to be involved in the care ministry of Community Covenant. Why? Because we all need care. Who cares? We all do. And most importantly, Jesus. Amen?